This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Welcome to the TriDot Podcast. We are working our way through a three-week series where we aim to solve your 10 biggest swim problems, your 10 biggest bike problems, and your 10 biggest run problems. And today, it's bike day. Not new bike day, just podcast bike bike problem-solving day. Uh, I wish we were all getting new bikes today. That'd be cool. Uh, The first coach here to talk about riding bikes is Coach Jose Ramon Callan. Coach Jose is the founder and lead coach at Josera Training based out of Resca, Spain. He is an Ironman certified coach and has a university degree in sports science. Jose serves as TriDot's market leader in Spain, spreading the word about TriDot and bringing new coaches and athletes to the TriDot family from Spain. He himself is a 28-time Ironman finisher who is equally passionate about seeing his own athletes cross the finish line. Jose, welcome back to the Dreadout Podcast. Thank you very much, Andrew. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me again. I'm very much looking forward to spending this time together with you and, and Jason. Also joining us today is the Ultraman himself, Tridot coach Jason Verbracken. Better known as Coach Verby, Jason lives in San Diego, California, where he works as a Pepsi sales manager in addition to coaching TriDot athletes and motocross athletes. He has been racing tries for seven years, racking up nine Ironman, one Ultraman, and and seven extreme triathlon finish lines in that time. Hey there, Verby. Welcome back. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for having me. You did tell me I was getting a bike for being on here, so that was a lie? (laughs) Just empty promises. Had to to lure you on for that that good coaching uh, bike wisdom. (laughs) I am Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we'll roll through our warm-up question, settle in for our main set conversation, and then wind things down with Vanessa uh, taking over for our cooldown. Lots of good stuff. Let's get to it. Time time to warm up. Let's get moving. We all come to triathlon at different ages with different skill sets, fitness levels, and experiences. So the triathlon journey is a little different for everyone, especially early on as you're getting used to the sport. For our warm-up question today, in the early stages of your tri-journey, what was the biggest challenge for you as you got into the sport of triathlon? What aspect did you find the most difficult at first? Coach Jose, what was it for you? For me, swimming was the hardest. Uh, I, rem- okay. yeah, I remember the first times I went to the swimming pool. Even though I was in a very good shape, it was difficult for me to finish the 25 meters of each length. It was amazing. Um, I used an enormous amount of energy that I didn't know how to apply correctly to move forward in the water. Uh, the position of the body, the strokes, the breathing, uh, everything was an enormous challenge. Uh, the difference came when I learned to be more efficient thanks to better technique. And 
after 20 years in triathlon. So now, a few months ago in March 2023, the other big difference came, and the name is Tri Dot Pool School, where my approach to that swimming technique changed, and the improvement has been huge. I'm very happy about that. Yeah, we love to hear that, and we're hearing that across the board from our coaches and athletes uh, that attend Tri Dot Pool School. I've attended. Uh, on deck taking pictures and video. I have not been a swimmer in the water yet, and I certainly need to do that sometime in the near to mid future. Um, I, I, I imagine a lot of athletes will probably echo your sentiment of of the swim being kind of the hardest part of uh, uh, getting into the sport at first, and that's why uh, we created Trout Out Pool School, which is going to help people along in that part of the journey. Uh, Verby, what, what is this answer for you? What was the biggest challenge uh, as you were getting into triathlon? The biggest part for me was actually just committing to it all. My very first triathlon was under a bet and I just, I had nothing. And so all my training was at the gym on a spin bike, treadmill, swimming pool there. And I really loved it. But make making that commitment to be going, all right, there's a lot of gear involved. And also my first race, I borrowed a bike. I borrowed bike shoes. I borrowed a helmet. I had a pair of running shoes. Um, you know, everything was borrowed gear. So making that commitment going, am I really going to go in this sport? Because it, you know, it isn't cheap. So there, I mean, you definitely, it ended up, I found a good used bike and, you know, shop the deals to get the better, you know, the cheaper gear or, you know, save money on it. But making that commitment of going, am I going all in and start buying every, you know, getting all these things. And I, I realized the most important things first and then add on as I go. I didn't need everything at once, but that, that part was the hardest part, just making that financial commitment to the sport itself. Uh, for me, uh, my answer here is, uh, the, the basically getting comfortable and getting good at cycling. I just, I think I have little scrawny runner's legs. Uh, and I think one of the things that really helped me early on to, to encourage folks that maybe are relating to this is, is doing some group rides with some of the local cycling clubs in the area. And even though they're not triathletes, getting out there on a road bike and just spending time with other cyclists on the road, uh, kind of getting used to riding longer in those pace lines and in those groups, uh, that really helped me a lot uh, kind of get into the sport of cycling. But that was the biggest challenge for me was, was getting where the bike leg of a triathlon just totally didn't torch me, intimidate me, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm excited to hear from our audience on this one. We're going to throw this question out to the I Am Trout Out Facebook group like we always do. So if you're on the Facebook, uh, go join the I Am Trout Out Facebook group and find the post asking you, when you got into this sport, what was the biggest challenge for you early on? Can't wait to hear what you have to say. On to the main set. Going in three, two, one. Extremely excited to have Two Toms as the anti-chafing partner of TriDot. Two Toms is always working on revolutionary new products designed to prevent chafing, blisters, odors, and sweat. Their passion is to keep you moving. With all the training we do, it is vital to take care of our skin. None of us want to shut down our swimming, biking, and running simply because a blister forms in the wrong spot at the wrong time. Thankfully, our friends at Two Toms prevent blisters before they even happen. For the ultimate anti-chafing experience, you can either roll on or wipe on Two Toms Sport Shield, Sport Shield Extra, or Blister Shield. I use Two Toms most often to prevent my wetsuit from rubbing the back of my neck, my bike saddle from causing any saddle sores, 
and my running shoes from creating any hot spots on my feet. Two Toms is always on deck at Tridot Pool School to keep our swimmers from getting any blisters from drilling with fins. For any occasion where your skin could rub, Two Toms has you covered. Whatever skin protectant or chamois cream you are using right now, I am telling you, Two Toms is better. Go to Metadyne.com to try Two Toms today. And when you do, use promo code TRIDOT for 20% off your order. The bike is the longest portion of any triathlon, and so in training, we spend a lot of time on the bike. You can bike indoors or outdoors. You can have a lot of different equipment setups indoors or outdoors. Lots of potential problems for us to encounter in our cycling that our coaches can help us with today. So, Jose Verbi, let's solve some people's bike problems. Big bike problem number one is getting our ride started. Uh, so help us guys. What, what are your tips for most efficiently getting our gear ready and getting out the door for our bike ride? Uh, coach Furby, I'll start with you on this one. For me, it's just, I always try to prep the night before having everything ready, you know, bottles, even, even on the trainer ride, I know I'm going to have at least one water bottle with me cause it's an, it's an hour ride. Um, you know, just having everything laid out, my shoes already you know, if I'm doing an indoor ride, my shoes are next to the trainer. You know, I know what gear I'm going to wear. Um, I already have the workout downloaded and uploaded to, you know, to whatever platform I'm going to use. And just kind of having that ready because the next day I know with work and other responsibilities, things come up in that. And then I don't want to be scrambling at the last minute. So I always try just the night before to have everything pretty much laid out, ready to go. So that way it's a smooth transition onto the workout. Yeah, Coach Rosera, uh, anything for you to add that you work with uh, on your athletes on getting getting that ride started so that starting the ride isn't a barrier to have you having a good workout? I think first we have to see what training we have for the next uh, for the next day, as Jason said. Um, after that, uh, what is the perfect route? Uh, what intensities we need to follow the next day? So then I can imagine the terrain that uh, we will address or the, the terrain that we will ride. And I think this is key because, you know, uh, one of the main ideas in Twilight is uh, do the right training right. So first, you need to, to know exactly the kind of training that you want to do, the, the training that is prescribed for Twilight, and then to imagine the best place to do that. And of course, that's, uh, that's, that's key because at the end, if you, for example, need to do some uh, hill repetitions, then you need a certain terrain. If you need to do some flat uh, sets in zone four, zone five, then you need a different terrain. So I think this is, this is, this is key to know exactly the, the kind of intensities that you need to deal the next day and then to start mentally preparing that. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, yeah, I, I find I do so much of my training now indoors just because it's more time efficient, right? It's just so easy to walk up into the pain cave, uh, walk upstairs to the pain cave, hop on my, my, my little spin bike and fire up my, you know, my, my try out workout gets pushed seamlessly to full gas. And so I just fire it up and boom, I'm riding. Um, so that, that's certainly been helpful for me to have everything upstairs. I leave my cycling shoes upstairs. I leave my, my cycling shorts upstairs. I leave the shirts I wear upstairs, everything that I like to eat. The only thing I'm pulling from downstairs to upstairs for this workout is myself and my water bottle. Like everything else, like even my nutrition is upstairs. Like if I'm mixing some, 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 uh, uh, hydration mix, if I'm mixing my precision fuel and hydration electrolytes into my water bottle, all of that is upstairs. I just take the water bottle upstairs and then mix it 
And uh, the more I keep upstairs, the better. And yeah, everything you guys are saying for those outdoor rides, have it ready the night before. That's certainly helpful for me. Uh, what would you say to the athlete who maybe they don't have a big race on the calendar and maybe they're just struggling with the motivation to start that workout? And so it's like, oh, I'm going to hit me how about I'm not feeling super motivated in this season of my triathloning. You know, how, how can we spur ourselves on to get that workout started uh, just from a motivation standpoint? Coach Verby? For me, I, if they're struggling with motivation, sometimes, you know, I'm all for, hey, let's skip that workout. Uh, you know, don't worry about the exact zones. Go do either a fun ride outside with the group. You know, just get out and go and have fun on the bike or by yourself. Or even, again, if you're, you know, you're crunched for time. But, hey, find your favorite route on your platform and and just go have fun and, and chase some um, king of the mountains or queen of the mountains and just yeah. go, just go enjoy it and find that love again that you're, you're missing. Like every workout doesn't have to be completely structured. So if, if you're struggling with that motivation, go have fun. That's, that's why we got into it to have fun. So I try to tell them, don't worry about this one. Let's skip one or two and just enjoy it for once. Don't worry about anything else. Yeah. Great stuff. I, I find for me, I, I almost set like micro goals, right? Okay, so there's not a race coming up, but I mean, I I always want to improve, and so it's if my if my FTP currently is 205 watts, you know, I want that next assessment to be 209, 211 watts, and so it's it's kind of remembering in, in the month to month, in the day to day, every single session is helping with that, uh, and that that kind of that kind of sparks me is is wanting to continue progressing in my in my fitness and my ability. Uh, Coach Jose, what, what, what do you say to your athletes on, on motivation to get the workout started in the first place? Yes, I think, I think uh, we have here a, a very important one. If they are not motivated for the performance, I said them, do it for health reasons. And do it to be prepared as soon as you have the opportunity to compete because you never know when you have a new race or maybe you, you find a triathlon that maybe you would like to do then you will, you will feel always prepared to do that race that you, at this moment, you don't have uh, on the calendar. But most important, do it for health reasons. Because at the end, if you keep training constantly, if you are committed to your training, it's not just to perform on race day. It's something deeper than that. It's a, a, a health reason. So I think this is even more important than the, you know, the FTP and the power and the heart rate and all these kind of things that, of course, are really interesting and motivating. But uh, health, I think, is the main, uh, the main goal. Big bike problem number two is raising our FTP. Everybody wants to continue getting fitter and faster. And uh, some athletes reported that that they just find uh, uh, some months those gains aren't as large as they expected. Some people uh, have experienced on and off uh, fitness plateaus where they kind of get to a certain point and then struggle to raise their FTP even more. Uh, you know, uh, uh, so some people, that's the barrier between them kind of having the bike split they want on race day is getting where their FTP is a little bit a little bit higher. Uh, so, so what are the coaching tips and tricks? I mean, there, there's doing the workouts and doing the right training, right. And that, that, that is a big one here that I imagine both of you guys will say, uh, but, but even beyond doing the right training, right. Is there anything our athletes can do to kind of help spark fitness improvement, uh, on the bike week to week, month to month, uh, coach Jose, what do you think? Yes. Uh, you know, for any triathlete, one of the best investments to improve the performance is increasing FTP, the higher the FTP the more possibilities to perform better. 
And all the coaches who work with Twidot and all the triathletes who train with it know that the FTP, the zone four for us, is present in every week of training, almost every week of training. To improve it, in addition to training it, we need to train too in zone five. And the most important thing, how to increase that functional personal power. I think the key is to make the most of each session in which it appears, perfectly executing the plans, the playing time and what. To achieve this, from my point of view, we have the best tool, the indoor trainer. So uh, thanks to it, I, uh, it can be able to put each pedal stroke in zone four, that is, make the most of each workout. On the road, you know, it's uh, always more complicated to achieve that continuity and that uh, current trainers uh, guaranteed us to, to perform perfectly every single pedal stroke. And furthermore, it's not just. Another key to improving FTP is what we also that we also complete the minutes in zone two. So it's a, it's a mix, it's a combination between zone two and zone four what uh, it's really helping us to produce the effect to improve the, the FTP. So it's not just zone four, I do the repetitions perfectly and then I relax and I pedal in, in zone one. This is something that again, we can do perfectly uh, on the indoor trainer. So this is the way, this is the reason because I always encourage my triathletes to focus on the indoor training to increase the FTP because they can produce the perfect power when they are training in zone four, in zone five, and in zone two. So in one hour, we have the best uh, combination. Love what you're saying, Jose, about, about kind of focusing on every single interval when Trotite gives you that zone four, gives you that zone five. Really go after those watts. Like, don't be intimidated by those zones. Like, I heard I heard Jeff Boer, our founder, CEO, one time say, like, Go, go on a ride every now and then and let yourself blow up. You know, cl climb a hill and push the watts and let yourself blow up. And, and you'll be surprised how quickly your legs recover from blowing up. Within minutes, you, you'll be you'll be spinning again and you'll be feeling okay. And, and so, yeah, in the moment, you might be trying to hold those zone four and zone five intervals and it might feel really hard and your legs might be blowing up. But that two-minute recovery before the next one uh, will go a lot longer than you think. And, and so don't be afraid of really taxing yourself uh, when those zone four and zone five uh, uh, intervals really come around. Uh, Coach Verby, what do you have to add here? Uh, what What is your FTP these days? Is it, is it 875, 876, somewhere somewhere up there yet? Uh, it's like 390, something right around in there somewhere. <laughs> um, uh, talk to us, Jason, about, about just how to continually improve our FTP. Um, the one big thing I like to do also, um, and hop on to what Jose, I really agree with the trainer, and working on your FTP is the best route for it with those. Again, you can get the hit whatever watt you're wanting exactly. Um, and I like to give my athletes even micro goals in there where we are constantly kind of building up towards when you get closer to the FTP, you're so used to already. I mean, because the zone four is a big, a big range. It could, you know, from 250 to 300 is your zone four. And um, I like to constantly be building them up as the weeks get closer to their FTP. So yeah, once great. once that FTP comes, they're already used to doing their sets close to their FTP where they're going to be what they're going to be shooting for come come threshold test day. Um, you know that makes a that makes a big difference. And then 
also strength training. I always say squats equals watts. You know, get making sure wow. you're building those. That, that's a t-shirt right there. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's a t-shirt. <laughs> you know, <laughs> making sure you're building building that leg strength to help support pushing those higher watts. Um, you know, squats, deadlifts, you know, lunges with dumbbells, all that stuff really helps strengthen the legs, helps with your FTP. And then even even what you're saying with the uh um, on the trainer cadence too. I'll, I'll change up the cadence too, to, uh, good point. Know, getting that lower cadence and really build that strength in the legs. You know, so sometimes I'll kind of go away from the try dot script where it's whatever it's suggesting and be like, all right, for these three, three men, three times, eight minutes, you know, I want you at a 80 cadence, a 75 cadence and a 70 cadence. And we're really just going to grind that out and really build that leg strength and again it you know by the time you're on that last set at 70 even like you said your legs are blowing up you can feel that blood in there and just getting used to that makes a huge difference and that has had great results yeah no really interesting comment about the cadence too because I mean, there's there's sometimes where TriDot has you at a specific cadence for a reason. And sometimes it's a low cadence because you're grinding and working on that power. Sometimes it's a high cadence because it's working on that turnover and those those fast twitch muscles. Um, but but yeah, there's a lot of times in our intervals where it doesn't designate. They, hey, ride this at whatever cadence is your normal cycling cadence, uh, presumably. But yeah, that's kind of the customization you can get with a coach. If, you know, if your coach knows, okay, we're really working on that leg strength this week. This might torch those muscles a little bit, and your run tomorrow might suffer because of it. But you know we're we're gonna really buckle down, knuckle down, and uh, and and kind of grind your legs away today by holding a lower cadence. So interesting, you have your athletes do that. Uh, big bike problem number three is translating our indoor power gains to the outdoors. So we were just talking about kind of ways to get that FTP up, really work our leg strength, really get those watts, uh, our body used to pushing more watts. Really, really uh, uh, doing that indoors is a great tool, a great methodology for doing that, controlling how hard you're pushing in each session. But in some athletes, kind of like swimming, you know, a lot of people get faster in the pool and struggle to translate that, 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 that speed to the open water. And we talked about that on the podcast last week, but that's kind of a problem for the bike for some people too, is, oh man, my legs are getting stronger. I, my, my FTP is improving inside, but then I go outside and... I'm just not seeing the gains translate. Coach Furby, talk to us about this. Well, I know a lot of times for me, once I hit outside, I feel stronger just because on the trainer, there's no cheating. I'm constantly having to push the watts. There's no slight downhill. There's, you know, no stop signs where I get a little break. Um, so I, I, the initial thing, I definitely always feel stronger coming off the trainer going onto the road but then you're dealing again with real life situations your bike handling yeah. the our crosswind rough roads and you know you can't really you're trying to focus in on staying in your watts or where whatever you're supposed to be pushing but you got cars zipping by you you got potholes you got so you know i i always tell my athletes try to you know Yes, stick to your watch, but take it with a grain of salt because there are many other things you're having to make sure you're adapting to. And, you know, getting out there more and doing those, you know, just like with the pool, you said, you know, after so many sessions, we do need to be out there and be staying on top of our outdoor riding skills. Um, just being. Yeah, absolutely. Being, you know, you feeling confident and being comfortable on the bike 
in a situation is going to be 10 times more than if you're you're pushing 500 watts on the trainer beat you know if you're not comfortable once you get outside and not able to focus on pushing those watts and focus on on your race or your ride then that power is going to mean nothing to you so just really getting out there and sometimes again not worrying too much what you're hitting get as close as possible with if you're doing a prescribed workout out on the road but just really getting comfortable feeling good doing all the little things that you know watching for cars grab being able to grab your water bottle dealing with wind all those little things that are gonna help you overall be a better biker big bike problem number four is getting comfortable on the bike particularly uh, a lot of people reported finding the right saddle was an issue for them some people reported that they experienced some some numbness in hands numbness in feet that gets kind of annoying after a while uh and a lot of this is just getting comfortable on the bike so you can ride as long as you need to for your training sessions i reported that was my biggest problem getting into the sport of triathlon uh so talk to us about bike comfort and uh finding the right saddle for you getting rid of tingling hands tingling feet uh coach jose what do you have to say here from 2013 until june 2023 i've been doing bike fitting for cyclists and triathletes and we could talk about what is most uh, advisable for each of them when we decide on the position, the placement of the pedals, the support of the arms on the arrow bars, the angles of the back, hip, knee, etc. But what we could most difficult for us is to that recommend a saddle because there are no, there are so many variables involved in the in the saddle. So. I think this is the most, uh, you know, difficult part of the of the bike. First, I think the the first step is to be sure that the position on the bike is perfect. So, first, I recommend all triathletes to perform a bike fitting test because this way they will be sure that the position on the bike is good. And then the second step is to is to see what kind of of saddle we we need. You know, because it is a part of the bicycle that is key because it's where the fulcrum of most of the applied forces is concentrated. And this has to be sustainable for hours and hours and hours. So to know what the saddle is appropriate, if, if the saddle is appropriate, we must first have done a bike fitting to be sure that the position on the bike is ideal. And then the second and most important thing, once you find a good saddle that you feel comfortable and you can stay there during hours and hours and hours. This is your bike, your saddle. It doesn't matter uh, if the rest of the group, if the rest of the triathletes, if the rest of the professional field, they are not using it because if you feel comfortable, this is your saddle. And you know, a lot of these bike fitters and shops now, they let you try out saddles. Go try the saddle for three, four weeks and let's see how you like it. If not, we'll, we'll put you on a different one. You know, they let you try as many as you want till you find that one that's comfortable. And then, all right, now you purchase it. So that's a really good program that's out there that a lot of people have. And I don't know, maybe we can get something going. We can start a rumor that if you want a bike fit, Jose will fly you to Spain <laughs> and personally bike fit okay. you. Part of a tri-dot yes. deal. Um, I mean, I know we would all love a trip to yes. Spain. We just, I, if sure. we start this... If we start this rumor enough, we could maybe make yes, it Yes, of course. 
I would love to ride in the country, the Spanish countryside with uh, Coach Josera. That sounds sounds like a neat vacation uh, for sure. Big bike problem number five is recognizing when your bike fit may need to be updated. Uh, you, you might get a good bike fit and you're happy with it for a little while, but but these are things that need to be reevaluated from time to time as our fitness and our flexibility and our gear and our race distances uh, change up. Coach Jose, as a bike fitter, kind of talk us about this one. What what are some signs that an athlete might need to revisit uh, their bike fit? First, the you know the three main goals on the bike are stay aero, apply power, and stay comfortable. So. It's not just, okay, I, I, I have a very aero position. This is perfect for me. No, because if you cannot apply power, it means nothing. And if you are not comfortable, you will move again and again and again during the, during the bike course. So you will lose the aero position. So at the end, this is a nice balance. So we need to find this perfect balance. And one of the most important things that we need to address to see if we need a, a new bike fitting is the type of race we are going to do. It's not the same a flat course, a rolling terrain, a windy yeah, place, a, a hilly point. course. For example, if you, if you want to ride a hilly course, as you know, the, maybe even the bike, we need to change the full bike. We need a road bike. So the position of the bike will be absolutely different than if we go to, for example, Ironman Maryland and we stay 112 miles on the aero position. So part of the bike fitting or re-bike fitting is uh, always related to the type of race we are going to, to do. And I always insist that the triathletes must know themselves. We have billions more sensors in our body than the best GPS, heart rate monitor, power meters. So we must know how, how, how to analyze. Yes, it's, it's, very, it's very nice because we must know how to analyze the information that our bodies provide us. And a key detail that will tell us if we need an adjustment will be the discomfort on the, or, or the inability to remain in a position that we could maintain before or the inability to generate the power that we want uh, to, to, to generate. So finally, I, I think that there are two different uh, main ideas. So the first one is what kind of race would you do for the next triathlon? And the second one is always listen to your body because it's very smart and will give you many signals that you need a new bike fitting. Uh, moving us on to big bike problem number six, this is taking care of your bike and all of its parts. Uh, some of us are, you know, a little bit uh, uh, more mechanically inclined than others. Some like to tinker on things. Some don't. I don't. I don't like getting my hands greasy or dirty. I don't like uh, uh, being hands-on with things. It doesn't interest me. I learn. I know just enough to keep my bike functional, but I trust the my, my, my local mechanics to do a lot more than I do. But, but we do need to know how to take care of our bike, right? There's some essentials that we need to know. Um, so as coaches, what do you like for your athletes to know in terms of uh, taking care of their bike and all of its parts? Coach Verby. Um, the main ones I really, you know, is changing the tires, making sure they can change the tires. Um, big thing, if your chain comes off, if you throw a chain, you know, if you're shifting too quick, going up a hill, trying to jump too many, it comes off. How to put that back on. Um, adjusting your brakes, you know, if they're rubbing and not. 
you know, those, those three kind of basic things I would say are the key can keep you going. If you're out on a ride or in a race and something happens, um, you know, those would be the main things I try to make sure they know. Um, anything else can kind of get, depending if you're mechanically technical or not, you know, like you said, Andrew, you don't like to get your hands dirty and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a prima way. donna. Yeah, I'm yeah. a prima donna. I was the kid in preschool who didn't like finger painting. I was that kid. <laughs> I just always been that way. You know, I can, I can tear a whole motor out of a motorcycle, put a top end in a motorcycle, but when it comes to breaking down my bike and really getting into uh, like the bearings and the, the cranks and all that, that's, that's just, you know what? I don't want to touch it. I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather leave that to a professional because if it breaks down while I'm out riding, then I could only blame myself. At least I have somebody else to blame. Like, hey, why did this happen? Um, but yeah, j just the basic, like I said, the tires, getting your chain back on and being able to adjust your brakes are, I would say, they're your three kind of key things that keep you going during a race that could happen. Yeah, I, I it's so funny. I never question my bike's um, mechanical state or, or ability to not brake until I'm going like downhill at like 35 miles an hour. <laughs> exactly. That is inevitably when I always think to myself, like, did, did I attach my front tire correctly? Like last time I put it on, is it, are my brakes like, like I, I don't, I don't, I don't think about any of it until I'm going downhill 35 miles an hour plus, And that's when I, I just question everything about my bike. And I like knowing in those moments that the last person to touch it mechanically knows a lot more than I do. So I just, and thankfully for me, I have a great bike shop just down the road. So it's easy to pop down there. But uh, again, there's kind of some essentials that we need to know. And Jason, you definitely outlined a few of them there. Uh, Coach Jose, like, what, what is this for you? What do you like for your athletes to be able to know about their own bike? Yes, you know, the reason to take care of the part of the bike is that uh, they are totally exposed to the environmental conditions. So the water, dust, mud, wind. Um, they receive from us part of the sweat that we generate when training, specifically uh, indoors. So something as simple as cleaning the bicycle every two, three, four, seven days, uh, it's, it's enough with a damp cloth and a dry, uh, drying it afterwards. It's something that will extend the life of the, of the materials. And even more importantly, it will provide us with a better experience when we pedal since everything will work much better. And also it could be ideal to watch it completely every, for example, two weeks, depending on the weather, of course. Finally, depending on the use, on use, Every two or three months, it is good to take it to your trusted bike mechanic for a deeper inspection and wash, because you know, uh, they are, all the bicycles are 100% exposed to the, to the conditions in the, the environmental conditions. And this is very, very, very important because they are so, uh, how to say, so fragile. So they need to be, uh, they need to be always with, with our uh, focus to, to, to take care of them. Uh, big bike problem number seven. Uh, and this is kind of taking some of the things we just talked about and taking them outside to race day and training outdoors, learning how to fix a flat tire or troubleshoot other mechanical problems that could happen during a ride. You, you see it on race day. You see the, the poor triathlete stranded on the side of the road cause they have a flat and they just don't know how to get that flat fixed properly. How can we not be that triathlete who uh, is stranded out somewhere because we can't 
take care of our own bike. Coach Jose. Yes, uh, it's nice to realize how triathlons uh, have evolved over time. Uh, since I started in 1995 with my first sprint triathlon in San Sebastián here in Spain. Now, in most competitions, we have some type of mechanical assistance, you know, that can help us with uh, the, the bicycle. This is, of course, this is fantastic. Um, in any case, I would always insist to my triathletes that they must be self-sufficient to know how to change a flat tire since uh, this ensures that they will continue the race as soon as possible. Uh, to, to learn that, in addition to the fact that today there are multiple videos on YouTube, we can also go to our trusted bike mechanic to request for some lessons and finally uh, practical courses of basic bike mechanics are being offered more and more frequently. So I think this is something that I recommend to 100% of triathletes. Uh, with this, in addition to changing a flat tire, they will learn much better about the wonder that a bicycle is and how to solve the small problems that can occur in any competition. Uh, Verbi, just, just from your experience, you know, riding outdoors, racing outdoors, you spend a lot of time outdoors riding. Uh, you know, what, what are the most likely things to happen to a triathlete's bike on race day out on the course? There's the flat tire fear that a lot of us have. Are there any other things we need to make sure we know how to handle out there? Gosh, you know, it, anything can happen on race day. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I've seen some of those people on the side of the road. It's the strangest things that have, you know, broken or... You know, they were in transport and they didn't tighten their seat enough and all of a sudden their seat's sitting all the way down. Or, you yeah. know, the, the screw had been so sweaty on the, some, you know, the front handlebars that it rusted out and they dropped down. So, I mean, some things we just can't avoid and maybe even unfixable for us. But just, again, having that common knowledge of your bike. And, you know, when you're at home, there are so many videos on YouTube where you can learn anything, right? And at the comfort of your home, you can figure out how to adjust your seat, how to adjust your handlebars. You know, you take a silver permanent marker and you mark where your seat is so you know you know exactly where you're putting it back and your handlebars. Um, You know, you can practice tightening those up. you know, same thing with your, again, with your tires, you're in the comfort of your home. You can, you can practice switching out a tube. You're not, it's, you're just putting a new tube in. You can put the old tube back in. Um, you know, you have a bike pump, so you're not using any CO2s or even spend some money. If you're not comfortable using your CO2 um, device, you know, some people have that CO2 and the CO2 thing they hook it up to, to fill the tire, but they've never used it. Well, buy four or five of them and practice filling that up you know they're they don't know that all of a sudden that co2 cartridge is going to be freezing cold and like well what's this you know i mean that can be a shock to you come race day um you know and then even it may sound crazy and weird but come race day you're sweaty you're hot you're seeing people go by you're getting nervous right and you get a flat tire and you're trying to rush well hey how about in the middle of one of your workouts you just maybe again you're doing three tens in zone four after that second zone 10, oh, I got a, you simulate, you got a flat. You jump oh, off wow. your, you know, you're on your trainer. Maybe, you know, you have a direct drive. Your rear tire's already off. So that's one less step you have to deal with. But that tire's there. You're going in the back of your kit. You're getting the tire forks out. You're changing the, you're changing the tube and getting back on and seeing how long it takes you. And now you're like, you're in kind of a race 
because you're trying to get back on to finish yeah, your workout. That's clever. You're, yeah. You're sweaty. You're you're dripping all over. The your things are slipping out of your hand. I mean, again, you're in the comfort of your home. If you can't do it, oh well, you can still hop on your bike and finish your workout. But practicing these little things, it's muscle memory. The more you kind of do it, the more you're going to get better at it. Yeah, I know a lot of us like envision, you know, stopping by our car to to refill our bottles as an aid station and simulating aid stations and and stuff like that in our training. But yeah, simulating a flat tire in your training and and simulating that problem happening and stopping to fix it while you're flustered and dehydrated and hot and sweaty. Really, really clever there, Jason. Uh, Big bike problem number eight is improving our handling skills, eating and drinking while we're on the bike, grabbing bottles from an aid station as we go through an aid station. Uh, and, and one other thing that, that our athletes commented on was just confidence going downhill, confidence going fast and taking turns. Uh, talk to us about uh, our handling skills and how to improve our balance and our ability to do things whilst out on the bike. Coach Verby. To a new athlete, this can be very challenging. If all of a sudden you've got the water bottles and they're behind your seat and you're trying to be out on the road grabbing one and you're holding on with one hand. So, you know, I, again... It, this can start on your trainer. You know, don't, you may have a desk set up next to your trainer. Well, put your water bottles where they're going to be on race day. You're building that muscle memory of being able to reach back, grab that bottle or reach between your legs. Just getting that muscle memory is huge. Kind of like the pool school, you know, building that muscle memory on dry land before you go in the pool. So come when you're in the pool, it's automatic. Same thing. You build that muscle memory. All right, my hand goes back. It knows right where to grab that water bottle. Um, So it can start with just being on your trainer. And then again, if you're not comfortable, I tell my athletes, go find a big parking lot or a, you know, a road that, you know, nobody travels down and just practice, you know, switching, you know, breaking, holding your, you know, grabbing that water bottle grabbing gels out of your back pocket, opening the gels, you know, all that stuff, just practice in a big parking lot where you're not worried about anybody hitting you or the speed you're going or anything happening. Those are great places to really just hone on your skills. And then as far as hills, you know, hopefully you've got different size hills at your house and by your house, or you might have to drive somewhere to go to them. But you know, practice, start, start small, start going down it, practice your braking. You know, again, there's many videos on YouTube. If you don't know like where to, you know, go the outside of the corner and come into the apex to get more speed and, you know, all those little things, but, you know, start, start on an easy hill, gradual hill, and then just kind of keep building your way up again. The more, the more you do it, the more better you're going to be. And it may be just, I'm doing hill repeats, but they're kind of opposite hill repeats. They're me going down the hill is what I'm, <laughs> is, is what I'm focusing on and just yeah. being comfortable, you know, and each time maybe trying to get a little faster or breaking a little, breaking a little later or releasing the brakes sooner to get out faster. Um, you know, just, just start small, but keep it comfortable and, and progress at your own speed. There's, there's no rush. And, it may take a couple months and then you feel comfortable and you move to a bigger hill or, you know, with some tighter corners. But, you know, again, there's no rush. Go at your speed and just that muscle memory of that consistent getting out and doing it is going to come come race day. You're going to feel confident and it's going to just be second nature to you. If, if you have the luxury of having a road bike or a mountain bike, 
you know, go join some group rides on a road bike where you're riding in close proximity to people and you're cornering in close proximity to people and, and watch the lines that roadies take. You can certainly learn from that. Um, you know, if you have a mountain bike, go do some mountain biking where it's a little bit more technical and you're having to, uh, uh, move your body weight, shift your body weight around going in and out of some of the turns and, and, and stuff like that. A lot of those things, those, those things can be, uh, if, if on, if you're always just flat and fast and straight ahead on a tri bike, you know, kind of, kind of vary up what you're doing in your training to, uh, to have to fish some bottles out and around and to, to use your handling a little bit more. Uh, that, that's something that has certainly helped me in, in, in my time. Uh, Coach Jose, what else do you have to say here about improving our bike skills, eating and drinking on the bike, uh, 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 confidence going downhill and, and descending skills? Uh, what do you think? Yes, improving confidence in handling the bike and being comfortable eating and drinking. This is very important. Uh, makes the pedaling experience even better. So in addition, this ensures that the triathlete can drink energy and fluids regularly. So, you know, this is key when, especially when we are talking about Ironman and Ironman 17.3 races, since nutrition is an essential part that must be ensured to reach the finish line and have the best experience possible. On the other hand, if we improve bicycle handling, safety uh, increases, not only for the triathlete, but for those around them in competition. So this is very important too. And uh, to this, we must add that the greater the security, the more likely is to perform. Since the better the fitness level, the faster the triathlete rides, and the more security and ease is needed to continue evolving. So if you want to increase your performance, you need to handle the bike better and better and better in all conditions, in all terrains. You need to take fluids, you need to take... Um, electrolytes, all your, uh, all your energy. So I think it's not just for the safety, of course, it's, it's about safety, but if you want to increase the, the level of your performance, I think this is, this is key. Yeah. Really interesting that, that I did at all sorts of levels, you know, th those are men that qualified for the world championships and found, oh man, I was at a disadvantage, not being as well-versed in descending on a technical course. And so, yep, these things uh, are things that we have to work on to, uh, continue improving as triathletes. Uh, you know, I, I think we think of, of, oh, only, only entry level new triathletes need to work on their handling. No, even advanced triathletes can improve their handling and, uh, it, it can pay off on race day, depending big bike problem. Number nine is dealing with the challenges of headwinds, crosswinds and hills. We just talked about hills a little bit. Uh, we actually have an entire podcast episode with coach Verby and coach Mark Allen talking about, uh, uh, just considerations for training and racing up and down hills on the bike. Um, but, but, but headwinds and crosswinds are a big part of triathloning as well, depending on the location of your race and where you train. Uh, how can our athletes get comfortable riding on their bike, being an aero and dealing with headwinds, crosswinds, hills, uh, coach Verby, what do you think? You know, I, I hate to sound redundant, but you know, we can't, um, we have to get out there and actually ride in it. You know, that's the best thing. So on those days, you may be like, oh, I'm going to stay on the trainer because it's windy. Well, you really do need to get out there to deal with those headwinds and crosswinds and being able to know what to do in those situations. Um, you know, especially headwinds, we really got to make sure we're watching our power and not over pushing, trying to, you know, sometimes we get so caught up on looking at our speed and that headwind is slowing us down and we start uh, pushing more power because we got to keep up that mile per hour we want because we're shooting for a certain PR but you're maybe 30, 40, 50 watts higher with your power. And you're like, 
you're going to blow up. So, you know, with that headwind, you really got to watch your power. You know, I try to tuck in as close as I can and be as aero as I possibly can be. Um, and then just stay watching my power. And I may even have to, I may even have to drop it some if my heart rate's going up too high. You know, I really, I really watch between those because, you know, that can, that can throw off your whole race plan. If all of a sudden you're, you're redlining your heart, your power's up 20, 20 watts and, but you're freaking out because you're three miles per hour slower, but that can end your day very quickly and have a very rough, rough run. Um, and same with crosswinds getting out there and being able to kind of, you know, the, the gusty crosswinds are, you know, they're going to throw you and just being able to, you know, if you know they're out there, you just got to keep that a good grip on your bike and be, be conscious of you could be pushed over on the side of the road at it, you know, not pushed over, over, but get pushed and move you physically on the bike at any time, you know, keeping a good grip on your bike um, and just being ready for those gusts. If it's a steady crosswind, you know, we can just kind of, you learn, you can kind of lean into it and you kind of adjust that way. I know I was racing over in Iceland and we had a good 50 mile an hour crosswind and I felt like I was leaning over at a 45 degree angle <laughs> riding, but you know, I was racing and I'm like, I'm not slowing down. And I just got, I just got in an angle where I felt comfortable. And I was like, if this crosswind stops, I'm definitely falling straight down onto the <laughs> ground, but it was a good steady one. And I just kept, I just rode like that for, for a while. And, uh, you know, again, it's just getting out, getting used to it and be able to adjust accordingly. And, you know, I know we're, we could be racing and, you know, sometimes you just got to slow down a little bit, you know, your safety, it's more important you finish the race than, oh, I, I was going 20 miles an hour, but then I, I crashed because of this wind and knocked me over and, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't help it, but sometimes slowing down a little bit and making sure we're, we're safe first is the number one priority in those. Yeah, it, it definitely a, a get out there and get in it kind of situation, unfortunately. And, and where, where I like to ride here in the, the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, we get a lot of blustery days in Dallas and, uh, you know, where I train, I've talked about on the podcast before. I love going out to Texas Motor Speedway. There's a five mile loop that goes around the property that has two stop signs, barely any traffic and, and triathletes like going out there and just clocking five mile lap after five mile lap in arrow. And since it's a loop and it's a pretty exposed loop, uh, you get all sorts of winds when you're out there. There, there is rarely not a crosswind in a couple directions, a headwind in a couple directions, and you have a very small tailwind at some point. But it feels like you're, fa you're when you're out there, you're fighting the wind in some way, shape, or form a little bit differently every single portion of that loop. And it's it's horrendous to be in it in real life. It's really obnoxious. I have times where I will I will shout swear words at the winds as I'm going around that loop. Uh, but it's great to get out there, get in the wind, feel a crosswind, feel a headwind. It definitely slows down that average mile per hour on Strava, but it prepares you for race day. Uh, and, and when I did Ironman Waco, for example, which was a, a, a windy race, I was glad I had had experience out there. That There's a lot of, of Jason and, and Jose, you, you guys know this, but there's a lot of kind of control muscles in, in our backs and our shoulders and our arms that we don't have to use indoors on the trainer, that when you're outdoors and you're in a crosswind, you're in a headwind, there's a lot of neck muscles, a lot of shoulder muscles, back muscles, where you're just you're, you're having to hold the bike controlled that you don't have to use indoors and you got to get outside and use those muscles so that they are ready uh, and willing to put in the work on race day. 
uh, Coach Jose, anything to add here on on headwinds, crosswinds, uh, on on in, in our training and racing? Yes, I think we have to analyze in advance the conditions we are going to encounter in the competition. From there, taking advantage of the fact that at race X in Twilight, we have great information related to the environment. We can have conversations with the Twilight coach to study how to manage different segments of the bike course. Once we know how they can affect us, we have to choose the bike, wheels, tires, and then again go to do the, the bike fitting. The third part will be going outside to test all the materials in conditions similar to those of the competition, of course, if it's possible. And if not, I always recommend travel in advance to race venue uh, and train on the same terrain and hopefully uh, with the same conditions that we will find on race day. Uh, I, I remember this weekend, uh, I went to Ironman Barcelona, uh, so it was a, a beautiful weekend for many of the triathletes that I coach, but some of them came to the, to the venue the day before, so imagine the stress, they cannot adapt to the conditions, the humidity, the heart, and of course, to stay many, many hours on the saddle and on the aerial position because in Barcelona, everything is flat and fast. So I always recommend to travel in advance to, to race venue and train on the, on the same terrain. So, and finally, it is key that the, any triathlete in this part of the preparation over the years, over the years, in gaining safety in all types of conditions so that they performance is better and they enjoy even more the, the fact that they are they are riding on the bike yeah jose g- great uh just recommendation on knowing what your race course environment is going to be and if, if possible replicate that in your training uh moving us on to our final bike problem before we kick it over to vanessa for our coach cool down tip Big bike problem number 10 is pacing your effort on race day so that you still have a good run off the bike. Triathletes are notorious for getting on the bike, overcooking on the bike, pushing too hard on the bike, and then walking, crawling, just surviving the run. How can we not be that triathlete? How can we make sure we get our pacing right? Well, we're not leaving effort on the table. We're going after our best possible bike split while still having gas in the tank to run properly we'll go verbi we'll go jose and then we'll shut it down coach verbi yeah there's i've heard so many times athletes saying oh my gosh i pr'd the bike i crushed it and i got to mile three on the run and i had to walk the rest of it well and i I can't figure (laughs) out why i don't know why exactly i i I need more run training i guess i just didn't do enough run training Yeah. yeah um you know the biggest thing come race day is obviously what we have a we have a secret weapon with RaceX and given us a great plan. Um, also, you know, it's giving you your power. I mean, so following that is going to be key. You know, I always try to talk to my athletes as, hey, you're going to get on that bike and you're going to be excited. You got done with the swim. You're on to something, something better. And, you know, so many people love being on their bikes and the people are whipping by and you're wanting to catch them. But Sticking to your plan is the biggest thing I can not emphasize more is, you know, have a have your power plan, know what you're going to be at. And, you know, I like to give my athletes too, you know, kind of numbers when you're climbing, this is what you should see. If you're 
you know, this many watts, that's throwing a red flag. You need to back it down. And also having a heart rate, you know, watching your heart rate at the same time. Um, again, with the winds or whatever, you know, it could be very hot out and you could be pushing that power, feeling pretty good, but all of a sudden your heart rate is getting higher and higher and higher and that could be in the danger zone. So I also have a heart rate I have them watch and if they hit a certain you know beats per minute that's like the the red flag has been thrown it's like you need to back it down I, I i don't care if you're you're still feeling okay that heart rate's up and you can't sustain that for that whole that whole bike portion because you're going to be you're going to be done by the time you get off that bike if you even make it to the end of the bike where you're not going to have to back it down so you know having a plan sticking to it sticking to it the best you can you know like i said you're going to be excited it's you know 70.3s and 140.6 it's a long day on the bike so you know there's no reason to go out hard and go crazy and you're gonna feel great i could i could ride this pace for five hours no problem well come hour three or four you're like oh no oh no what did i do so stick to your plan have a plan have a power have a um heart rate and just you know You've trained for it. Just stick with that. And that's going to be your best way to come off that bike, feeling the best and get on that run and have a good, strong run also. I'll say this, Verby. One one thing that I've always found has helped me is uh, like a lot of athletes talk back and forth about like, okay, when, when you're training indoors on the trainer, you know, is it better to do that time upright uh, where you can push a little bit harder? Or is it better to do that in arrow like you are? outdoors on race day. And so if you have, if you have a, a sprint or Olympic coming up and you know you're going to be holding a lot of zone four during that, spend some time inside on the trainer in arrow and get your body used to pushing that effort in arrow. Uh, and, and, and when you have 70.3, 140.6 coming up, uh, a lot of that race day is going to be in zone three. So, so for me, while I was preparing for those, those Saturday rides come around, you have your zone four efforts, you have your zone two efforts, when that zone, when those zone three efforts kicked in, I was an arrow. You know, I was upright for everything else so that I was comfortable and so that I was, you know, pacing myself and not torching my shoulders, whatever, whatever. But when when those race efforts came around, I was an arrow to try to be pushing that race day wattage in arrow as much as possible. So you get outside on race day and and pushing those watts in arrow feels familiar. Uh, and that, that's one thing I found has always helped me in, in, at kind of like getting the pacing right and still having the legs off the run is is knowing what those watts feels like an arrow that I'm supposed to be holding on race day, uh, even a step beyond holding the correct wattage like Coach Verby is telling you to do and not overcooking it. Uh, Coach Jose, shut us down today. Talk to us about your thoughts on uh, uh, pacing our bike legs so that we can run well off the bike. Yes, what you said is uh, perfect, uh, Jason, and you are 100% uh, right. So I think the most important thing is the idea of be passionate. That's the best advice for any triathlete, especially if we are competing in long distance triathlons. We know that keeping the intensity as constant as possible is the best way to achieve the best performance. If we remember, for example, uh, Eliud Kipchoge during the one hour, 59 minutes, 42 seconds in Vienna, they maintain, he maintained the same intensity the full marathon so this is if the if he is the world champion the olympic champion the world record champion uh hold the record champion so, so, sorry uh imagine we are uh, age groupers most of us are 
age groupers. So uh, it's the same for us to know exactly the, the ideal songs to maintain. Take advantage, this is a, a, a different idea. Take advantage of regular conversations with the trial coach so that we know the optimal intensity for each part of the bike course. Uh, trial coaches have huge experience and they can give you the best advices. Yeah, so true. To, you know, uh, to, to hold the intensity, to keep calm, to be patient to take the drink and the energy that you need. Because at the end, when we are analyzing uh, the race using race X, we have many tools to know exactly the intensities, depending on the wind, depending on the terrain, depending on, on the humidity. And this always will be related to the nutrition. So when we are practicing the race rehearsals, I think is when we need to include the idea of the nutrition to have the perfect combination. So nutrition and intensity and intensities are 100% related. So we need to analyze the intensities and depending on that, we need to analyze the nutrition, both the liquids and the energy. And this way we will have the best preparation for race day. But of course, the main goal, the main idea is be passionate because the day is a long day. I always remember the same sentence uh, from Mark Allen. He always said, for example, uh, if we talk about Ironman, Ironman is a beautiful day, and Ironman till the 21 kilometer mark, so till the half marathon of uh, doing the run, it's a training day. And then from the 21 kilometers, from the half marathon, then it's a racing day. So I think this is the, the best museum, uh, the best uh, idea to remark how important it is to be passionate when we are talking about races uh, like Ironman and Ironman 70.3. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. Hey, everyone. It's cool down time, and I'm Vanessa, your average triathlete with elite level enthusiasm. Our TriDoc coach on the show today is bringing us life hacks for the time-crunched athlete. He hails from colorful Colorado, and he is a software product manager, but finds his passion comes from infusing triathlon into his everyday life. Now, he's been so successful with this triathlon lifestyle that his family is involved as well. His daughter recently completed her first 70.3, and Rich and his brother actually have their sights set on racing in Yokohama in 2024. Rich is a USAT Level 1 triathlon coach and specializes in age groupers who are working towards their first full distance try and helps them overcome confidence issues and work-life training balance. He is an accomplished athlete himself with five fulls to his name, numerous 70.3s, and he's also a finisher of the New York City Marathon. Now, what I find super cool is that he completed every Ironman while raising two girls, staying married, and employed, which to me is nothing short of a miracle. I am really excited to hear about your secrets of success, Rich. So welcome back to the cool down. Ah, thanks again for that awesome intro, Vanessa. I think we're going to start off today by playing two truths and a lie just for fun. So let's see if you can stump me and, and the audience here. So hit us. All right. Well, here are my three statements in no particular okay. order. You mentioned my New York, New York City Marathon. That was my fastest marathon, I have to tell you. That is my statement number one. Statement number two, I once spent the night sleeping on a bench in Kona, 
And statement number three, 303 Endurance Podcast, the podcast I am the host of, the music, the entry music, intro music, is composed and performed by Poncho Man (laughs) from the Breakfast with Bob Babbitt show. Okay. I'm deeply in love with Kona and the bench story, so I'm going to say that's true. (laughs) I want it to be true with all of my heart. Um, And I do believe also that that Poncho Man has... uh, is helping out with your intro music. So I'm going to say that New York City Marathon is not your first or your fastest time, actually. Wow, you are good at this. <laughs> uh, it's absolutely true. The New York City Marathon was my slowest marathon. I was so blown away at the spectacle of the thing. I forgot to drink an ounce of water in oh, no. the six hours I was awake before my marathon started. So yeah, um, that is uh, that was definitely my lie. So very oh, good job. I love that story. Yeah, you're just so excited and, and overwhelmed with you Ugh. know this the, everything that was going on. I'm sure it was incredible. Very distracting. But yeah, you want to hear this Kona bench sleeping on the Kona bench story. I, I so do, this yeah. must be 2019, <laughs> the 10 p.m. flight on Sunday, the day after Kona. We get the news at around 9.30 that our flight, our plane has got a mechanical problem. No worries. Don't worry, anybody. We're going to have the part flown over here. It'll be fixed by, you know, 11 o'clock, 11.30, no problem. We are all sleeping on benches at the Kona airport in that outdoor and that outdoor yes. space. And it, and it wasn't until like 3 a.m. that they finally said, you know, that's it. It's not happening. We're going to give you all vouchers for hotels and we'll see you here again tomorrow night. So it is true that I spent my night, spent a night sleeping on a bench in Kona at the Kona airport. Awesome. Okay. So can you let us know about one or two of your life hacks that you might share with your athletes? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things, you know, when you've got so many competing priorities, right, there are a lot of people that you have relationships with and expectations, um, you know, with and, you know, whether it's, you know, your arrangement with your boss around your work hours or when you'll be working and when you'll be available or when you will be home for dinner or when you will be available to take the kids to this thing or that thing or, you know, communication is a really big part of, of, doing long distance triathlon, finding enough time to get in all the training and manage all of your other big rock priorities. Well, during one of my Ironman training long rides, I took off at 9 a.m. and I told my wife, hey, I will be back by four, which, you know, any normal person that would sound really strange taking off at 9 a.m. and being saying you're going to be home by four. Well, when I got home, my wife said to me, I thought you were going to be home in four hours, 1 p.m. And I said, well, no, I tried to remind I tried to remind her. No, I said I'd be back at 4, 4 p.m. Well, the debate didn't matter. We agreed to disagree. But I went down to Office Max and bought one of those will be back at window clocks <laughs> with the little plastic hour and minute hands. Yes. You know, the kind that the pharmacist has out, you know, in front of the, you know, gate when it's closed. (laughs) Yeah. I put that on the inside of our house, on the garage door that goes out to the garage. So anytime I left, I would just set that for the time I would be back. And it really helped with expectation setting. There was no miscommunication. That's unreal. And it also takes away a little bit of that conversation that has to happen about, you know, like you're like, oh, I'm going to be back in eight hours, you know, and it just goes to show it's a nice little visual. That's that's a really great idea. I love that. That's just one of those little things that I learned along the way. I learned from all my athletes too. My athletes come up with all sorts of creative ideas and 
And um, I look to them also, and, and um, I have an athlete in California who occasionally has to drive into the city. Well, we all know that Bay Area traffic is terrible, and everybody has their own kind of schedule constraints, right? Everyone's situation is a little bit unique. And, you know, when she says that you have to be creative, right? She will actually commute much earlier to avoid traffic and then get her training in at a gym near her office, you know, so that she can spend her, her more productive time doing something uh, more than just commuting. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great Tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.